Hey, Cinefans. It is your resident wrestler extraordinaire, Jaster Taylor here, and we're doing things a little different today. I'm going to be the host for this little fun game that we're going to play. But before I get into the details of the game and the second question, which is top three movies, I've got to introduce, of course, my lovely crew. And I'm going to start with the guy with the beard that even though I said it was weird, it's definitely not weird. It's actually quite full, Sterling. What's going on, guys? And then I've got everybody's favorite center girl, Heather. Hey, hey, everyone. Thanks for listening again. And then I have the man with the voice of Caramel, Devin. Yeah, you know you've made the right choice. Thanks for listening, guys. This should be interesting this evening. All right, all right, guys. So what this is is part two of our Cinema Slayers game. Now, normally when we have guests on our little podcast, we ask them three questions. And these questions are based on Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead. He would always ask somebody he met new three questions about as far as um, their history and have they killed zombies, things of that nature. Well, we changed it up and we asked our guests about three questions that pertain to movies. We asked them what are their favorite TV shows. We asked them what are their favorite movies. And then we asked them what's a guilty pleasure and why. So, but today we're twisting that around and the Cinema Slayers crew is going to play the game with ourselves. So we're going to ask each other that question and we're just going to give details on what some of our favorite movies are since this is question number two. So ladies first, because everybody knows I'm a gentleman. Heather, give us your top three movies and a little reason of why you picked those three. Okay, so... You know, I always listen to everybody who we give these questions to that says, oh, it's really hard to pick just three. And, you know, when we're sitting and thinking about them ourselves, it really is a super hard thing to choose, you know, your top three, you know, because you have reasons why you like them. And, you know, there might be sentimental. It might be just because you can watch it a million times or whatever it may be. So I definitely agree with everyone who's had to play this game that says it's really hard to only choose three. Um, that was the case for me. But I tried to, to do my best to narrow it down. So my first movie, I'm going to say that is my um, one of my top favorite movies is going to be Goodwill Hunting. Um, I love that movie. I think it's heartfelt. It's for the time that it was written and created. I feel like it was a little bit different than other movies that you were seeing at the time. Um, it still holds up like you still watch it today and it still is just... Um, it's got a lot of relevant things in it, you know, um, the issues of, you know, getting to the heart of the matter of like why you act the way you do and why you feel the way you do about certain things. And just that ultimate story of, you know, what is love and do you chase after it? And, you know, how important is it to you? And just the dynamic between Matt Damon and Robin Williams, who plays the psychologist or the therapist in that, um, it's just a great chemistry and a great dynamic. Um, it's it's just so fantastic and the characters were just really fleshed out and the way that they kind of just laid Matt Damon's character, Will, um, just kind of out there, you know, where you really just get to know these deeper things about him throughout the movie. And it kind of shocks you because you don't think that that's where that's going to go, but it just goes there and it does it in a really beautiful way and a very heartfelt um, very um, genuine way that they go about, you know, his background and just kind of um, getting to the heart of things that matter for him. 
And um, so I love that movie. You know, it's just, and the fact that, you know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they, they wrote that movie and it's kind of like their, their first claim to fame, if you will. And it's so well done. And the fact that they're childhood friends, like best friends, and they wrote it together and they just added so many elements of things that they knew growing up. I just think it's really awesome how they did that. And it's just a really, I mean, I could watch that movie and every time that I see it, I'm going to be like, man, that's a good movie. You know, there's always those scenes that you remember from it, but the more you watch it, the more you see there are a lot of great scenes that are underrated in that movie. So, um, so that is definitely going to be my first, my first movie. Cool, cool. I'm glad that you mentioned that somebody mentioned something with Robin Williams, um, because he's always been a, a personal favorite of mine. Um, and yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned the stuff about the fact that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wrote that, and that was kind of their jump into stardom. And actually, it's funny because I I had already known about those two actors um, after Good Will Hunting. I had seen films after that, but uh, when I remember I was introduced to Good Will Hunting, though, because somebody had told me that they wrote that film. And I remember going back and watching it and going, man, like this is this is really good. And this was like a first film for them. So that alone, like that being uh, their first movie and being uh, on the big screen like that, sharing the screen with somebody like Robin Williams, especially in Matt Damon's case. I mean, it definitely showed that those two had a lot of potential and you could just tell if you were somebody who was there for that first film with them, I'm pretty sure you could tell that they were both superstars in the making for sure. Yeah, definitely. Agree. That's a fine piece of filmmaking. Yeah. And I love the scene where like, um, you know, it kind of gets to the part where Robin Williams a little bit figures out why Matt Damon's character is so... I guess, broken in a way. And just that scene where he, he really lays it out there and he really tries to speak to his heart. And that scene was so heartbreaking, but so beautiful. And I always remember that, especially coming from the background of, um, you know, my, my major is in psychology. That's what I would like to do for a living. And just seeing that scene, I was like, see, that's the reason why, you know, counselors, psychologists, therapists all do what they do, you know, for moments like that, those breakthrough moments. And they just did that so well on screen. So, were you going to say something, Sterling? I thought it sounded like you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, how about them apples? <laughs> nice. That is well placed. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, my next option that I'm going to choose as my favorite movie, and it might be a little bit of a strange pick for a favorite movie, but. I'm basing it on movies that I could watch over and over that I always enjoy, movies that had like a just an impact on me growing up, and that movie is going to be Ten Things I Hate About You. <laughs> um, I love that movie. I still like if I still watch it today, it's still so funny to me. Um, you know, just the it's. I mean, first of all, obviously Heath Ledger was he was extremely charismatic in the role that he did. Julia Stiles was the kind of independent teenager that growing up, I wanted to be that, you know, she's like, I don't care about anyone. You know, she lived by her morals. She wasn't afraid of anyone. Uh, she wasn't afraid of being herself, you know? And I think that that just when you're a younger teenage girl growing up, that's something that really kind of sticks with you. You see those characters and, you know, it's like that strong, powerful, independent, 
teenage girl and you're just kind of like that's awesome you know because it's it's just a very different type of portrayal for for teenage girls to see you know um and it's definitely the movie that made me be like you know i love julia styles as an actress she did such a great job in that um but you know there's just so many lines in it that people remember and they still quote from it um it's just the best kind of teen you know, rom-com that you can get, I think. Um, it's just, you know, the the fact that it's like a modern uh, Taming of the Shrew, that's kind of genius. I think it was great how they did that. Um, you know, the, the little Shakespeare Easter eggs that they put into it um, throughout the whole movie, that's very brilliant. Um, just the, the character relationships are all just great. And it's it's just a lot of fun. You know, it's just one of those where I'll never not watch it if it's on. So for me, that's going to definitely be a favorite. That's another interesting one for me, too, because, I mean, wasn't that also kind of a breakout for Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I believe, wasn't that like their breakout movie, if I'm not mistaken? Or am I wrong yeah. about that? Okay. I think you are. Okay. Yeah. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I mean, I think he was in that, um, what was it, Third Rock from the Sun? You know, he was in that growing up and Angels in the Outfield. And and this was his first into kind of like the, I guess you would call it, call it like the heartthrob category for him. And he was so great, too. He did an awesome job in that movie as well. But, you know, just the, the, the romantic um, dynamic between almost all the relationships in that is great. And the, the dad, Julia Stiles, um, her dad in that, oh, man, he's my favorite. He's so hilarious. He's just that dad that's so clueless, trying to be super cool and just has no idea what's actually going on. He's just such a great character. He was just written so well for this movie. And I'm blinking on the guy's name right now, but he was he was perfect for that role. So um, but yeah, it was a breakout for, you know, Julia Stiles, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, probably even Heath Ledger. I think that's probably the one where he started to become a name. So um, it was just a big role for a lot of people. Um, It's just it's classic, I think, for me. It's just a classic rom-com, you know, high school you know, comedy movie. So, and I think that one of the things I remember about it, I, I think that th- that year, if I'm not mistaken, there were quite a few like romantic comedies, teen romantic comedies that came out that year. But if I'm not mistaken, that one emerged. I re- just remember hearing a lot about that one, and I wound up going to see that one because the the critical response was pretty positive on it from what I remember. And I remember people saying that it was well-written. Like what made it stand out from a lot of those other movies is that not only the, the, the chemistry with the actors, but that it was a little more clever. It was clever than a lot of the other movies that came out that year. So I just remember people touting about the writing of it, that it worked on a lot of levels that some of those other movies didn't. And I know now it comes up in like every top 10, any kind of top 10 romance comedies, teen romances. It's always there. Yeah. It's usually at the top. So it definitely says something about that film. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it was also, I think, Gabrielle Union's first movie. Gabrielle Union, she was in that. Uh, I just think that the talent in there was just, just way better than any anybody else. I mean, even you know, if you just you know, Joseph Gordon Levitt, um, uh, Heath Ledger, and um, Julia Stiles. I mean, they went on to do some really great things for their career. And that was Jasmine, mm-hmm. right? That was around the time like she's all bad to come out and. 
and um, God, what was another one of the big ones? Well, it, it was I like, think Can't Hardly Wait was around that time. Wait, and then You Drive Me Crazy, and just like a lot yes. of movies with like Freddie Prince Jr. and uh, uh, Jennifer, <laughs> yeah, Jake, whatever the Love three Hewitt. name girl, yeah, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, I just I remember that that movie really stood out. And as a teenage boy, I didn't want to say I liked it because like, this movie sucks, but deep down inside, I did. And so I think I even um, <laughs> I think I even I think I even wrote a poem and kind of plagiarized the ten things I hate about you formula with that for, about my yes. mom. So I even plagiarized it, even though I didn't like it so much. So you know, shout out, shout out to plagiarism. It didn't go anywhere. So you know, <laughs> cheaters never. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's funny because you see like most of Heath Ledger's roles are just like the very serious or dramatic characters. And this is one of his first big roles. And he was funny. He was great at being like the lighthearted and the funny. And yeah, I mean, it just showed like he, I mean, he has, he had range, you know what I mean? And so, and it's just kind of cool to see that like from going from that movie to just the amazing films that he did up until his death, it's just kind of like, you know, he had some range. He really did. And um, same thing with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, he's just done every type of, you know, role at this point, you know? So um, it's just a lot of fun. That movie is, it's just hilarious. I just remember always wanting to watch it. If there was like a girl's night or there was like a, oh, let's all get together in a group and watch a movie. That's always one of them that people wanted to watch. So it's just for me, I think just growing up in the time period that I did, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it's just that's the movie that everyone loved. That movie also introduced the weirdest version of paintball I've ever seen. (laughs) With the balloons? Well, they were either balloons or sponges. They didn't they didn't break like balloons. So it looked like they were paint soaked sponges or something. I've never seen any version of paintball ever played like that. I will say this that that scene is set to the best semisonic song ever. Closing time is their most popular, but their best one is Fascinating New Thing. And yes, that is the song going song. on during that scene and it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's really my only contribution to this because <laughs> I'm fairly lukewarm towards 10 Things I Hate About You. I never want to watch it, but if it's on or other people want to watch it, I'll watch it. But it's just never something I want to watch. <laughs> so yeah. that's really my only contribution. I don't know many people that would say, oh, that movie's terrible. You know, like it's either like, yeah, I'll watch it. It might not be a favorite, but it's always like, yeah, it's on. That's fine. You know, I I even remember my dad was just like, yeah, okay, we can watch that. That's fine. (laughs) You know, Um, I do agree, Sterling, like that song and that scene. I love that scene because of that song being in it. And just in general, that soundtrack of that movie is also really awesome. Like that was just my my type of music. I loved the whole soundtrack that they did with it, too. So. That was a bonus for me liking that movie, for sure. Oh, yeah. Alice and Janney. They had a lot of people in this movie that were just, you know, kind of starting out or not well known until after that movie. But anyways, um, so my third movie is it's going to be a newer one, but I thought about it a lot and just how much I've really loved this movie. And that movie is The Edge of Seventeen. I don't know how many of you guys have seen that movie, <laughs> but it's um, that movie is, I think, you know, it's got to be one of my favorites that I've seen in the past couple of years. It's so 
so good. Um, it's, it's also a heartfelt and genuinely beautiful movie. Um, I guess it just spoke to like, again, like the teenage girl that I actually was, you know, and it, it knocks it out of the park with how true it feels for young girls growing up, you know, comparing themselves to each other, uh, trying to be relevant, wanting to be noticed, sometimes even just trying to get attention from people you should never even want attention from. You know, I just, I personally loved that. Uh, also the dynamic of Nadine, who is um, Haley Seinfeld and Darian, who plays her brother. Um, I think Blake Jenner is the brother. Um, I just love the, their brother, sister, you know, combo that they have going there. Um, there's just like, I feel like there's this understood thing between siblings a lot of times that, you know, even if you're completely opposite people and have that, you know, the sibling rivalry or competing against each other um, as to who matters more, you you just understand each other, you know, and um, when you grow up in the same home, you're raised the same way, there's a bond that comes from that. I think it reminds me just a lot of, I guess, maybe my relationship with my own brother in some ways because of that dynamic that they had in this movie. Um, so that's a big part of why I love seeing that on screen and mostly um, how they convey that unspoken thing that's in the heart of all teens, you know, that feeling of where do I belong? Why can't, you know, um, you know, why can't I like who I am? Will I ever fit in? You know, we've all been there and it's just the ultimate journey of finding yourself. Um, and it's just done so beautifully. So I just, I cannot say enough good things about that movie, you know, um, and Woody Harrelson, he is just everything he does is pretty much gold because he's awesome, but <laughs> he's so great as a teacher in this movie and kind of like the, the male role model for um, Haley Steinfeld's character in this movie, uh, rightfully so, just the way that their chemistry is as well is really well done. And um, yeah, it's just a really heartwarming, beautiful movie. And I just, I can't say enough good things about it. And maybe it's because it did just hit closer to home for me, you know, just kind of being like, yep, I've been there. In most of those cases, I have been there. So I just loved it. And Haley Steinfeld knocked it out of the park. She was phenomenal in this movie. I think she was Golden Globe nominated because of it. And it's super well-deserved. She was amazing in it. You know, I hadn't really seen her in much else before this movie, but I was like, yeah, she's going to have a really long and really good career if this is kind of how she's starting out her acting career. So, um, yeah, just that that whole movie is just I, I will always love that movie just because it really I feel like it gets to the heart of things that um, a lot of movies don't really touch on as well or to the degree that they do. So I loved that movie. Man, this is one of those movies that I haven't seen it yet. But I remember last year it was on my list to see. And I just and I don't know why I didn't follow through on that. But I guess this is confirmation. I'm going to have to. But I heard so much about that year that it came out, which was what, 2016, if I'm not mistaken. I Yeah, it might I have been know... like end of 2016, early to 2017, okay. something like that. Yeah. OK, but but yes, but I remember hearing about Haley's performance in that. And I just remember it was getting a lot of buzz. I want to say she was even got got nominated for a Golden Globe and people were there was even some Oscar talk. But I don't think she got nominated for that. But I could be wrong. I'm, I don't have yeah. it in front of me. But but I want to say no, she right. got all the way yeah. up to the Golden Globe. So I remember th I remember putting that down and going, oh, I need to see that. Uh, and it has a really high critic score. I know that. 
I know the scores are pretty respectable and I and I wanted to get around to seeing it and I just did it. But now, especially after hearing you, I'm definitely going to have to watch it. And like you said, Woody Harrelson is in it. When I found out, when I saw the cast and saw he was in it, I was like, oh, man, yeah, this is a I definitely need mm. to see this. Um, but yeah, so I'm definitely going to have to check that out and I'll get back to you on this. I'll let you know uh, what yes. I thought. But yeah. But yeah, definitely heard a lot about that movie the year it came out. It's a rare gem. You know, it's one of those where it was. um, I think that people should have given it more attention than it got. I mean, it did get like the Golden Globe attention and all of that. But, you know, it just didn't. um, I didn't know of many people at the time that actually saw the movie. And I was just like, when I saw it, I was like, this is just an incredible movie that people need to see. And for all those listening we actually have a review of that up on our website if you want to go check that out um, a little bit more in depth into the things that were liked and disliked about it. But it's it's just an overall amazing movie. So awesome. Anybody else see it? Um, I've owned it ever since it came out on iTunes, but I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> you should do that. It's so good. I didn't know you had it on your iTunes. I'm going to have to cop that password and watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, I've uh, I've had it since the day it came out and I just. I've never watched it yet. And I've wanted to, like, I've wanted to watch that movie. And just for whatever stupid reason, I haven't yet. And I need to, I need to change that. Oh, yeah. You guys are missing out. It's an amazing movie. Even, I mean, guys and, you know, males and females will both like it, I think, you know, because there's the, there's the strong um, male characters in it, too, like Woody Harrelson and um, Blake Jenner, you know, as the brother. He's like the brother that's just trying to take care of everything and trying to be the head of the household. And he's just so good um, as that character. So I think it has something that almost everybody can really relate to character wise in the movie. So you guys definitely need to check it out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, definitely all good choices by Heather. Now we're going to move on to the man of caramel, Mr. Devin. What are your top three favorite movies? Okay. So um, I have been, dreading this conversation because asking people like us what our top three favorite movies are is a rabbit hole i mean you you really are taking the red pill when you ask that question um but um what i wanted to do is for those of you who don't really know us very well or you're just getting to the podcast welcome welcome i wanted to kind of just describe myself with movies and i think that's the best way to do it and so these are just movies that i can watch all the time uh, I had some conflict with, um, I didn't have a li- oops, sorry. That's <laughs> Alex Jones. That's my inner Alex Jones that comes out sometimes. I'm worried about them making the frogs gay. Okay. I'm sorry. See, it happens. It happens from time to time. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, so I, I went ahead and I kind of made a little list here of my top three and I have to read it directly from this list. Because if I don't, I will diverge and I will change my mind. And I'm not going to do that. My list was erased. Jesus Christ, what has happened? Okay, so first things first. Um, I love good, raunchy comedies. So I'm not talking about like Van Wilder, The Rise of Taj, or like American Pie, <laughs> Naked Mile, nothing like that. But my favorite raunchy comedy of all time has to be super bad. Um, oh, super bad. Yes. Uh, super bad came out at a time when, you know, I, I had grown up watching uh, movies like Revenge of the Nerds 
and an animal house and police academy and porkies and uh just these raunchy teen comedies and you know when i say i grew up i mean i was like nine years old watching these films uh thanks usa up all night you really did uh open up my mind to what comedy could be and um so but i never had mine something from my era something that was rated r something that was something that was um that reminded me of me and my friends when i was when i was in high school so Superbad came out shortly after i graduated and i just loved um the, the setup of you know there's these outcasts and all they're trying to do is just have a fun night with alcohol because they got a fake id and you get into all these different shenanigans and it really was a launching pad for so many people i mean you had jonah hill in there of course and uh mclovin because that's who he's just known as forever and ever um michael Sarah was in there just doing amazing stuff um you had um uh i think his name is uh, John Trulio, he's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine and he's hilarious. He has like this little cameo role in it. That's just amazing. Um, and, you know, you had Seth Rogen in there. You had David Hayter in there. I mean, and there's just so many people in that movie that just made it so funny. And the situations and the scenarios were so, so outlandish, but they felt really organic. And it, it, it was just a laugh right it from beginning to end, especially uh when uh <laughs> Joe Hill's character uh is uh talking about his um dick drawing compulsion um that was the most appropriate use of of penises ever in a film and uh and the way they closed it in the credits was amazing with them <laughs> all drawn as dicks and just all the dicks being drawn and they had like a he had like a Tiananmen square dick and like just like <laughs> I mean, like any kind of any kind of dick you imagine. And I just I just felt like I mean, I think me and Jason and Sterling watched it together and I can't think of a single moment that we didn't stop laughing. Um, so uh, Superbad is one of my all time comedies. I love watching it. I even still watch it now. And uh, oh, yeah. And not to mention, uh, I forgot Emma Stone was in that. Like, I mean, they're just, yeah. it's just the who's who mm-hmm. of people were just in that film. Yeah. And so, yes, it was, it was amazing. So, uh, that's one of my favorite comedies. Yeah. It's definitely up there as a top one for me, especially like the teen comedies, like in regards to that subject matter, I think that's my favorite one. Like, that's just something I, I could watch. Now that's a movie. Talk about a movie you can watch anytime. Or talk about a movie where if you see that it's coming on or you see it on, you don't just stop and just kind of finish it. Like, that's kind of one of those movies for me. Like, I, that's a, th- th- that movie was just so hilarious. So many memorable lines, so many memorable scenes. And, and, and honestly, like you said, a launching pad for so many people. Um, I mean, man, it just made fans out of me for life for some of those people like Jonah Hill and, I mean, you just, it, it was just great. Like, I, I mean, just everything, scene to scene. Like you said, I just remember laughing from start to finish. And it was just, you never, n- nothing ever happened just exactly how you thought it would. And even if they were cliche, it was very self-aware 
So they understood that they they knew exactly what this was and they understood that. And so they just kind of had fun. You could tell they had fun with the character tropes. So definitely a, a laugh out loud riot. If anybody is listening to this and hasn't seen that movie, you owe it to yourself to go see Superbad. You will not be sorry for sure. Now up next to me, um, I like all genres of film and I watch everything, but I find myself kind of going back, you know, if I'm in a bad mood or I need to, you know, just kind of decompress and chill. I only go to certain types of movies when I'm in those moods. Um, and so, you know, my top three genres will always be, like I said, that raunchy comedy that's good. You know, you can even throw like American Pie or something like that in there if you want to. Um, but the next thing that I go to is a good damn action movie. I love myself a good Debo. I love myself a great gunfight. I love myself a bit of ultra violence. And I cannot, will not live without it. I don't care how many half-cocked people think that violent movies make people kill people. I don't care. I'm going to keep watching them. I'm going to keep giving my money to them because I want more of them. And I was actually watching one, uh, The Night come from, Comes From Us, on Netflix, and I am loving it. I think it will have the world record for most stabbings in a film by the time it's done. It's brutal. It's visceral. Uh, there is a plot. I'm sure there's a reason why everybody's stabbing everyone, but I don't give a damn because it's lovely. So back to what I was saying originally. So when I think of an action movie that made me fall in love with action movies, I have to go way back, back in the time. And, and I was thinking, was it Enter the Dragon? And I remember, no, I saw Enter the Dragon when I was older. Uh, you know, was it, um, was it, uh, um, was it Lethal Weapon? I was like, no, it wasn't that. Was it Die Hard? No. Uh, was it uh, Death Wish? No. Uh, was it RoboCop? No. What was the movie that just made me want to see all of the violence to ever happen on film? And that movie is one of the greatest movies, period. I don't care what anybody says. That is Terminator 2 Judgment Day. The special effects, the action, th the story. Uh, James Cameron being James Cameron. Uh, I, I just think that's for me, that's his finest work. Um, I love Terminator 2. Uh, it, and the thing about it is it's such an improvement over Terminator, which is already an amazing film. And Terminator 2 Judgment Day makes Terminator look like trash. Uh, and so to be that great of a director, to see a piece of film that you made that was a classic. Uh, and that everybody really loved and revered and then to make something that almost makes people forget about it um, is just absolutely amazing. I remember watching that film and uh, the first time T-1000 uh, morphed, I, I my jaw dropped on the floor. I just I could not believe what I was seeing. It looks so real. And I mean, this movie was what made 1994, 95. And I watched it three or four years ago, and it still looks amazing, man. Still looks amazing. So, I mean, there's so many. I mean, we wouldn't have Hasta La Vista, baby. We wouldn't have I'll Be Back. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have any of that stuff without the Terminator. Uh, and I just thought it was so well done. And there was so much heart in the film also. They really developed the character. Sarah Connor comes back, and she's no longer a damsel in distress. I mean, she's the first, I mean, besides uh, Ripley, 
she's a modern day, you know, Wonder Woman, you know, when it comes right down to it, she really did lead that movie and was so incredibly strong in that role. It was so different. And I think it showed the world that you can make a sequel that completely foreshadows the original. And it's okay to do that. So Terminator 2, Judgment Day, you got to create your own fate. No fate, but what we make. Man, I I love and hate that you brought this up because this was number three on my list. <laughs> but uh-huh. uh, but I guess we'll just, I'll just go ahead and talk about it now. Um, we'll just cover it all now. But yes, I definitely have this on my list. This is an all time favorite for me. It just ha- it just combines all of the things I love. And I mean, man, where do I even begin with Terminator 2? Like, I just this is another one of those films that I can really watch any time. And some of the action sequences and and I'm and and me, I'm a stickler for action. I like good choreography. I like the martial arts films and I like um, good action movies. And me being a pro wrestler, you know, I you know, it's natural that in some ways that I tend to gravitate towards those things in film and when they're done well nothing just really gives me a great time like that and the terminator 2 i mean the 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 chase with the motorcycle and the and the big rig truck i mean i mean how do you i mean that was just an amazing amazing action sequence i mean from start to finish it's just one of those things you don't forget about that's just one that always sticks out in my mind there were so many great stunts in that in that film and then it, it was interesting what you were talking about the transition from terminator 1 to terminator 2 and and i'm wondering if this is really the only movie that has done this but has there ever been a movie where they took the where they kind of took what was pretty much the antagonist in the first film and then in the second film, switched it all up and made that person the actual hero. Like, has that been done? Like, as far as from part one to part two, like in sequels, and yes. like in like in sequential order, like that. Yes, has that but been done? Nothing on that scale. The first thing that comes to my mind is uh, what is it called? Um, Undisputed. Um, so there's Undisputed. And then there's Undisputed 2. And that's when um whatever that guy, Michael Jai White's character, he's fighting David Boyka. And then Undisputed 3 uh, is actually about Boyka and his return after being defeated. But, I mean, this is decades oh, after, decades cool. after um, uh, Terminator and also not nearly as big as a release. But I'm, maybe it has been. I, I think in some animated movies, I, I can think of some examples, but I can't really not just outright go, oh, yes, this one right here, and definitely not one uh, as big as this movie. You you typically don't see that in, in these big, you know, two, three thousand uh, theater releases. You know, you don't you don't see that very often. So I think you have a point, you know, that flip the script uh, moment of just this is the hero now was amazing. And their explanation was great. It was just like we took one of the Terminators and we reprogrammed it. And now he's your friend. And if you ever get a chance to actually watch the special features, there's like tons of deleted scenes. And there's one scene that it makes it just hurts me that it wasn't in there when they actually um 
turn on the Terminator's learning processes to kind of pretty much give it free will, which allows it to make the decision to uh, self-terminate in the end. Uh, it um, It's amazing in the makeup and the special effects and the practical effects that they use. They're operating on Arnold Schwarzenegger's skull and cutting it open. And it's just amazing. And it really sucks because it didn't make it into the movie. And it's great. So Terminator 2. Special features, watch that scene, it's great. No, I agree. I love that movie. Yeah, like I I just remember that being um a movie when I was younger. Like I always watched that movie. And um it was kind of like the staple action movie that um if it was on, you know, my brother and I would want to watch it. So I I remember loving that movie too. And um <laughs> I, I think it was one of those where at one point, it was just on either every channel or it was on the same channel all the time. <laughs> and I just remember every time I would always have it on. It was really well done. And it really is like, in my opinion, it's better than the original Terminator for sure. It's just such a good movie. You know, ev- they have a little bit of everything in it. So I actually totally agree with that assessment. I think that that's a good call on your favorite movie choice. So. Um, A plus for that. Just real quick, you guys have said all the right things and all this other stuff. I just wanted to let the listeners know the movie came out in 1991. Oh, yes, it was 91. That's crazy. It came out gotcha. so long ago. Damn, I'm old. And for whatever reason, no one has been able to ever mimic the liquid metal effects of the T-1000 since that damn movie. <laughs> Nobody in movie history has turned to liquid and looked as good as it did in 1991. It is, it, yeah, that, that is, is true. very true. It, true yeah, as hell. true as hell. And if you watch how they actually did that, it's amazing too. Check out the fucking special features, please. I'm telling you. Terminator 2, those special features will get you so enthralled at the filmmaking process. If you're just like um, a casual film uh, uh, film viewer, or a casual uh, movie watcher, watch special features of any of your favorite movies, and you will be plunged into a wonderful world of what it takes to create a world. And that's one one thing I love about films is you can take an idea and then you can make a universe or you can make a world or you can make a situation or scenario that, that feels just as real as the one we're living in. Uh, no matter how fantastical, it's just about how much passion and how well you use your resources. So it doesn't even matter if you're in the right time period or if you're ahead of your time. If you if you do it well and you do it right, it's going to last for, for decades and maybe even generations. Um, now, my last pick, uh, I hate to do this because it's a it's a cop out. But what's truth is truth. What's right is right. And I can only select the movies that I feel ring true with me right down to my spirit. And that describe who I am and 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 describe beyond my taste and preference of a film, but even my outlook on life and, and things that uh, have uplifted me and, and torn me down and and made me believe in people in my own self. So once again, I know this is a cop out. I know people throw this movie out all the time, but I don't care. There's a reason because it's amazing and, and it's it's flawless to me. Um, and I won't hear a goddamn different word about it if you say it's not. So with that being said, The Shawshank Redemption is one of my absolute favorite movies. I have no lie seen that movie no less than 56 times. 
and it just keeps getting more beautiful every time I watch it. Uh, when you're talking about an adaptation of a book, you constantly hear the book is better, the book is better, the book is better, the book is better. But when it comes to the Shawshank Redemption, I rarely hear hear someone say that. Um, the cast is a, a mighty, powerful, brilliant cast, but everybody is so dedicated to telling this story of one man, but in in such a beautiful ensemble way. Uh that you care about every single character, whether it's Andy Dufresne or Brooks or Red or any of the other at least dozen other people in this film. Um, the journey and the story of Andy Dufresne, the, the plot twists and the betrayals and the murder and the suffering um, is just amazing. Just 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 understanding the story is harrowing but then when you look how beautifully shot it is and how superbly acted it is uh you can feel the heart and the love for the source material that was made and um there's two moments in that film that i always have to watch even if i can't watch it in its entirety uh if it's on i have to watch when andy dufresne breaks into the warden's office and plays uh that uh that opera song and then you have morgan freeman to this day i don't know Mm -hmm. what those four ladies sung about and i don't think i want to (laughs) you know (laughs) that was a nice impression that was good Um, it's just a beautiful scene and then of course um when andy dufresne finally crossed through the sewage pipe and lands uh and he and he is raining and it's storing that music is just building and building and building and building and building. Um, and it, it's just amazing when he finally escapes because you feel like you've escaped with him because the shot was so close quarters and you could, you could smell the, the piss and the shit. You could, you could, you could, it was like, it was, it was symbolic of his journey. It was long and it was ugly and it was dirty, but, but it was worth it. And not only that, but, this character, even though he's wrongfully imprisoned, understands his part in it, that if he had been closer to his wife, if he had not pushed her away, he would have never been to prison because she would have never looked to find love in somebody else's arms and she would have never been murdered. So him even claiming responsibility when he really had no reason to is just amazing, amazing character development. Uh the beauty of that movie can't be understated. It can't be, you can't be hyperbolic with it to me. Uh, and I think it's one of the movies that you got to see before you die. It's so hopeful. It's so inspirational, but it's also so bitter and, and, and punishing and, and desperate at times. Uh, and so I just, I, I just love it, you know? So, um, I just love it. And I'll, I'll uh, uh, I'll end mine with a quote from the movie that I love. Andy Dufresne, a man who crawled through a river of shit and came out clean on the other side. Nice. I like that. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's a th- th- that's a great movie. I mean, that's um, I mean, there's really nothing to add to anything that you said. And what's even more interesting about the film is kind of what happened when it was released, because it really kind of is a redemption story, even existentially in a way, because I know it wasn't that well received 
when it first came out, right? And then didn't it just, um, yeah, it flopped at first, yeah. And then it just emerged, like, after more people started seeing it and it got the TV and it just emerged as one of the greatest movies of all time. So that's a hell of a story, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, no, that's true. It's, I, and the fact that it's a Stephen King um, story kind of surprises me just because it's such a gem out of like, just out of all the things he's written, it's just such a different type of thing. You know what I mean? So it's, I, I love that aspect of it, that he was able to write this like beautiful, tenderhearted story in the midst of all of his, you know, creepy, you know, crazy stories that he writes. So for me, that was an interesting aspect of it too, that that was that and Green Mile, which are two of the best like movies, movie adaptations of his, you know, books. And those were just the fact that they were both Stephen King stories is kind of amazing to me. Um, one thing I'll say about uh, Shawshank is I like the fact that it doesn't matter at what point the movie is. Like if you're flipping through channels and you see Shawshank Redemption is on, you'll stop and you'll put it on. It could be for like the last three minutes of the movie before the end credits roll and you'll still put it on and watch just that little part. Mm-hmm. Like it never matters, and I think that's a kind of a testament to the to the type of movie it is. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely agree. And with that, Sterling, it is now your turn. So, what are the top three sta- favorite movies for the man with the beard? Well, I do think it's funny that both Heather and Devin have talked about how this was difficult and they needed lists and all this other shit. This was super easy for me. Like it's. It's been these movies since I came up with the questions. I figured at some point we would answer the questions ourselves, you know, even before we uh, came up with these episodes. But it's first and foremost, it's probably the movie I have mentioned the most on the podcast. And I mean, anybody that knows me, they know this is it. It's Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. You know, when Devin's talking about having seen, you know, Shawshank 56 times. I probably watched Ghostbusters 56 times when I was the age of five. Like, I I watch it multiple times a year. I've This year in 2018, you know, we're in December. We're almost done with the year. I think I've watched Ghostbusters probably seven or eight times this year so far. I'm probably going to get at least one more in before <laughs> the end of the year. You know, uh, I just I watch Ghostbusters all the time. It's just it's that movie that is it's smart. It's funny. It's got like just this perfect cast. I mean, everybody in it just hits the right notes. You know, I mean, honestly, my favorite character is Winston. I love the straight man to everybody else's paranormal craziness. I love, you know, when Janine's sitting there, she's listing all the things that he needs to believe in to have a job there. And he's like, I'll believe in whatever the fuck you want as long as you pay me. Like, I love that. <laughs> and then, you know, it's it's just it's great. And then. When they're getting arrested and all this shit's happening, he's like, I'm not with them. He's just like, he's willing to throw them all under the bus because they're just a bunch of crazy guys doing all the shit. And even when he's seen the shit, even when he's seen the paranormal craziness, he's still got that, that like aura of skepticism to him. And I don't want to, it's not necessarily, I guess, skepticism. It's just of practicality. He's got that aura of practicality about him. I just love it. And. <laughs> You know, whenever he when he looks at the mayor and he says, I've seen shit that'll turn you white and the look on the mayor's face afterwards, 
Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes <laughs> in that movie. I mean, it, that whole scene alone, when they're all in there with Walter Peck and, you know, Egon calls him dickless. And that part is very subtle. When he calls when he says dickless over there, it's very subtle. And then, you know, the mayor says, like, well, is this true? That's when Peter Vigman goes, yes, sir. It's true. This man has no dick. <laughs> I didn't re- I, I didn't realize that line for the longest time. Uh, I think it was like 10 or 11 when I finally realized what was going on when he, when all that was said. Uh, it's just everything is so amazing about the movie. The effects are really well, are, are really well, are done really well. Um, I, I just, what could make the effects look dated actually just kind of makes them look more effective as ghosts. And I really like that about it. Plus, I mean, the opening scene or, you know, with the librarian ghost is just right up there with openings. Like that librarian ghost opening is so amazing. It just really sets the tone for the movie because you get that mix of humor. And I don't want to necessarily say horror, but uh, supernatural scares. You know, you get that mix of that and the horror and right at the beginning. And it really does. It sets the tone for the whole movie. And it's just, it's the epitome of what a movie is to me. Man, Ghostbusters is great. So, and yes, I knew where you were going with that. Um, for a <laughs> moment, I was like, it's got, it's either Ghostbusters or Starship Troopers. But I was like, okay, well, prob- but when you said Ghostbusters, I was like, yep, yep. Cause yes, Sterling, you talk about that movie all the time and for good reasons. Um, I mean, there are so many great things to say about that movie, just everything about it. And like you said, it was so intelligently written and smart and the the dialogue is just memorable. Bill Murray is great in this movie. I think he was uh, one of the standout performers to me. I just loved him in this movie. Man, I mean, what can I say? That, that they can't already be said about it. And then as far as what it's what it meant to the rest of the world globally, I mean, cartoons came out after the Ghostbusters came out. All sorts of spinoffs. The Ghostbusters theme song is one of the greatest movie theme songs ever. So, I mean, I just think that it, no matter what you're, it's one of the most, and I think, if you ask me, it's one of the most recognizable things. Who doesn't know that? If you hear somebody go, I'm afraid of no ghosts, you know what they're talking about. Like, you mm-hmm. just know. Anytime you hear a little bit of that song, you just know exactly what it is. So, and even today, man, I was at a Comic-Con just the other day, and there was a guy walking around as a Ghostbuster, and everybody knew who he was, young and old, <laughs> and everybody wanted a picture. So, I mean, it just goes to show you, it's it's very transcendent, Ghostbusters, so definitely a good pick. I was actually just talking about um, the Ghostbusters theme uh, with one of my co-workers, and we were talking about how that guy who wrote that song has never written another song because he still makes like a trillion dollars a year off of that one song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's just kind of like, why would I even try to write more music? I've already done it. There's no need for me to do any other songs ever again in my life. And I think that just, I mean, when you hear that bass line, boom, 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 and I just think that, you know, that movie was so great, and even the second one was so good. It just really sucks that it's never really gotten 
gotten that finale that it needs uh, and, and gotten the ending that it needs. And there's been a lot of spiritual successors and video games and stuff like that. But another just great Ghostbusters movie would be, you know, amazing. But, uh, you know, that's not going to happen. But still, yes, great pick. One of my favorite movies. Um, so love it. Love that pick. I, I, I do want to interject real quick. Jason, you forgot the best tie-in as far as the merchandise goes with Ghostbusters. Uh-oh. What did I forget? You you forgot to mention the you forgot to mention the fucking sparkly green slimer toothpaste. Oh god, the slimer toothpaste. How could I have forgotten about that? Bitch, please. Wow. It was about that hot that slimer ecto cooler from high sea. What are you talking about? Yes, the Ecto Cooler. Oh, my God. I remember that commercial. And I was like, I got to get one of those. Mama, mama. I was begging for one of those. I was begging for one of those, man. And then I tried it. And uh, yeah, I don't remember. It tasted that great. The, the flavor is it's a weird orange. It's orange with something else. And I don't know why they went that route. Because I've never once watched Ghostbusters and went, man, citrus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> citrus. Oh, man. I mean, at least they might. Maybe they just went the wrong citrus route. I could see maybe a lemon lime. Like a little a slimer. A slimer yeah, sprite. exactly. Yeah, yeah something green. Yeah, green. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, you can make it like it's essentially make it kind of like a flat Sprite like in high C. So it wouldn't like, yeah, it'd be flat because it wouldn't be carbureted, but you just up the sugar content. So it still tastes fine. Like that would have worked. I just don't know why their marketing went. We have this orange mixed with something flavor. I know let's theme it with this green ghost. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number two, which has also been brought up because it's motherfucking starship troopers. I mean, I know critically it wasn't considered the best movie, but you know what? Fuck critics. That movie's great. It's got action. It's got violence. It's got comedy. It's got a moral. It's got everything you could want in a movie. It's like just fucking it's it's like a train and it just starts. And every time you're like, oh, this is a little too ridiculous. It says, fuck that. And it goes a little bit more ridiculous. And then just when you're like, okay. It's definitely not going to get any more ridiculous than that. It says, wait a second, fuck you. I'm going to be more ridiculous. And it just keeps going. And it never ends up getting too ridiculous. That's the best thing about it, is it doesn't end up getting too ridiculous. It just ends up climaxing at perfect ridiculousness. (laughs) And, I mean, everything about it. uh, I mean, my boy Casper as Johnny Rico is fucking great. It's you would think his style of acting would never be considered great, but no, if you watch him as Johnny motherfucking Rico, it's perfection. His, his wooden stoicness just works so great in this hyper-realized propaganda world. And I mean, oh, don't, don't even get me started on those vignettes, man. Those propaganda vignettes, they're just sprinkled throughout the movie are one of the greatest things that's ever happened to movies in the history of being able to film shit. And it's just it at its heart, especially now, if you look at the 
like hyper partisan hyper patriotism that exists in so many countries around the world, even America and in lots of places in Europe, that nationalist mentality, like just everything about it. Like we really are like essentially the ability to transverse large amounts of space away for, and finding alien bugs that want to kill us. We're like those two things away from becoming the world that is starship troopers. Like, with just the way that they view the Federation and all this other stuff. Like we're we're right there. We're on the precipice of that. So I think as as more time passes, I think actually the movie's gonna become more relevant and even better. I have to agree with you on the first Starship Troopers, the very first one. I wanna make that clear. Um I always enjoyed <laughs> that film. I always enjoyed that film. I thought it was really great. Um, you know, to where else can you see a giant brain use a sharp, phallic object to pierce through a person's head and eat their brain and somehow ingesting human brain matter makes it smarter? I mean, it's so it's just so kooky and zany. Uh, and uh, I love the propaganda vignettes. Uh, just like Sterling said, it just reminded me of a lot of what I was learning in school at the time about yellow journalism. When I saw it, I was like, ah, this is propaganda. The only thing that was different were like the bugs were like actually pure evil. And, you know, they were just being evil and killing things and wanting to take over planets. So I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity there uh, without, you know, giving them some other motivation besides, you know, we're we're evil. We're evil insects, locust like beings uh, to, to add some death to it. But I always thought the special effects were really good. Uh, I liked everybody's acting, and then it was cool to see um, to see that uh, the bad guy from uh, God, what was he in? Uh, now I can't remember. Um, God, what was that guy? He's like in the eighties. He was Which the character? bad guy at everything. The 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 sergeant. Come on, you bitch! Oh, Michael Ironside. Yeah, Michael Ironside. So he was like the go-to bad guy back in the eighties. So it was nice to see him in a heroic role when he wasn't a bad guy. Uh, and actually, he's a bad guy in Turbo Kid. If you haven't seen Turbo Kid and you like cheesy uh, 80s action films, get that in you real quick. Um, and then I also really love Diz. Mm, I had me a quirk crush on that woman right there when I was young. So, yeah, that's all good. Good pick. Yeah, the, the first Starship Troopers, I can't remember if we watched that together or not. Maybe not. but. I remember watching the first one. I remember seeing a preview of it and going, oh, man, I don't know. This kind of looks dumb. But like you were saying, Sterling, again, it's kind of one of those movies that's very self-aware, which it seems like that's what you I'm sensing a pattern with you because this is like because you like Ghostbusters, you like this. And they're both kind of self-aware comedies with mixed with like other genres that normally aren't like that but they mix them together and you kind of get something great. So I don't know. I feel like maybe that's kind of something that you tend to lean towards, but I could be wrong about that. But with this movie, that's the thing that I enjoyed about it the most is that it's just, it's silly, but it knows it's being silly. It's not trying to be serious and coming off silly on accident, like a battlefield earth or something like that. It's not, um, and it, and and in that way, it was clever. In that way, it just had a way of allowing you to sit back and just enjoy what was happening, and not get too wrapped up in 
logistics or anything like that that was going on. And like and like you said, and then if you are long for the ride, the story is quite good, but it's funny. And there's aliens being splattered everywhere and stuff like that. And I had a lot of fun with this movie. I thought it was definitely a good time at the movie. So, yeah, I would recommend it as well. You got some another? Um, I mean, I would first say Neil Patrick Harris, obviously gold, because always. Um, <laughs> but I'll be honest, that wasn't my favorite movie. Um, <laughs> it, it's not a bad movie. It's just for me in general, movies about, you know, space and all of that. That's not really quite my thing as much. Uh, not to say that it was a bad movie in itself. It's just that that's not the genre that I usually go towards, but that I just remember the big, um, things that, you know, suck your brain. That's like the thing that I remember about that movie. So, um, you know, definitely sticks with you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I kind of wondered if you were going to choose that as an option just because, you know, in several podcasts, you have mentioned how much you love that movie. <laughs> so I guess I, you know, I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised that that's your option. But for me, it's not a movie that I would say I would go back and watch a lot on my own. But I am not surprised that it's one that you chose because you do love that movie. <laughs> no. I do have something to bring up before I move on to my next. I really don't understand why everybody's putting this disclaimer of the first Starship Troopers movie. Because all five of them are fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> I mean, and I, I know I can say this because none of you guys have watched all five of them. I mean, have any of you guys even seen past the first one? I'll be honest, I have not. No, no, no. No, I haven't. Sewer Rat might taste like pumpkin pie, but I'll never know because I'll never eat the filthy motherfucker. Samuel L. Jackson, Jules, See? Pulp Fiction. You guys, you guys have all these issues with with Starship Troopers two through five when they're all fantastic. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna issue you guys a challenge. Pick one. Pick one of the four sequels to Starship Troopers and watch it. Just one. That's all. I just failed my first challenge. I mean. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is, you know, you, you, you can't sit there and say these things. I mean, you got to give it a try. Just one of them. You pick one and watch them. I mean, if you like the vignettes and those aspects of it, I would suggest Starship Troopers 3 Marauders. It's a lot more tonally, uh, you know, akin to the first movie. If you want to watch just some more, and it does have Johnny Rico in it too, but if you just want to watch some more of Johnny Rico being a badass, uh, I would suggest Starship Troopers Traitors of Mars, which is the fifth one, which is more Johnny's uh, Rico focused. And, you know, it's it's got a returning character from the first one that's delightful. Now, it's not live action. It is computer animated. But, you know, my boy Casper is the voice of Johnny Rico again in this one. So, you know, I'd say give that one a shot. If you want to, you know, get more into, you know, kind of the lore and the story and uh, the the depth of other aspects of the Federation itself. You know, that's when you check out uh, Hero of the Federation, which is Starship Troopers 2. Um, it's it's not totally the same as the first and third. But like I said, it kind of gives more of a mentality into to aspects of the, the Federation, which then is also expounded upon in Starship Troopers 3 Marauders. Now, then if you just want to kind of get 
you know, a movie that's kind of got the feel uh, without the vignettes, but a story feel uh, more to the first one. I would suggest take, checking out uh, Starship Troopers uh, Invasion, which is the fourth one, which is the first of the animated ones. Uh, you got your you got your Johnny Rico. You got your Carl. You got everybody. Uh, you also got what's her name? Oh, why am I blanking on her? Abanez, which is uh, Denise Richards character. Denise Richards. Yeah. Yeah. But I was trying to think of the character, though. Uh, so, you know, you got all of them to come back. Carmen. Together. Yeah. Carmen Abanez, right? Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, you know, they all come together uh, for some story action in, in the fourth one. I'm just saying, pick one and watch it. Who knows? You might be surprised. That's all I'm going to say. But I'm surprised that the explanation took so long. I'm not going to watch them. <laughs> I just I think you're scared, Devin. I think you're scared. I think you're scared. I am, I'm scared. I am terrified. You talk so much shit about them. That you know what? You might actually have a good time. I think you're scared of the possibility that you might have to eat some crow and backtrack on what you said. Sterling, let me tell you something. If me and my friends all don white with cod pieces and go around wreaking havoc and mayhem, and then they strap me open and put clips on my eyes and put eye drops and make me watch all the Starship Trooper movies, uh, and I end up liking them, that's the only fucking way it's going to happen. Then I'll admit, hey, I I had a good time with this. Um, But uh, I just, I can't do it. I just can't watch any more of them. I saw the second one, actually, just so you know, and I did not have a good time. I did not have a good time at all. And this is not going to be a green eggs and ham thing. I've already done it. I went as far as I could go. All right. The ride's over for me. I don't have another ticket. <laughs> so you you will not watch it in a house. You will not watch it with a mouse. You will not watch it <laughs> here or there. I you will not watch it anywhere. Box. I will not watch it in the box. <laughs> I will not watch it with the Rico. I will not watch it with Ego, the living planet. I will not watch it with Star-Lord. I would not watch it after watching Overboard. I will not watch Starship Trooper movies again. I can't. I can't. But I still love you, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Man, I just hear all the fear in your voice. Just so much fear. But. What's your third? My third one. (laughs) I'm sorry. Starship Troopers 2. Let me get that laugh out. See, I, you guys are just laughing because you heard the fear too. I get it. I get it. So, my third movie, which also should not come as a surprise to anybody that's listening to the podcast, I have mentioned this movie quite a bit also, you know, because it's just got these little things to it that just make it so special. So, very, very special. And that is, of course, the movie Chef with John Favreau in it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, I was really you afraid sure. you were going to say you. Willis Wright. I thought you were say, yes, I he was about to say the Willis Wright. I was like, don't you do it. Don't you dare say the Willis Wright. <laughs> Boy, I thought the Wright was coming. Voice squad Carson in this. I know. That's why I did word it that way. But no, I do. I mentioned the movie Chef a lot, too. And the movie Chef is one of those movies that is just truly authentic and truly like heartfelt. And it really is like you're, you're following this guy that, you know, was at the top of the world and then it all came crashing down. He had to reassess his life, reassess everything and, you know, find like figure out why he loved what he loved and come back from it. And I mean, it's very accurate 
to the way people act in a kitchen. It's, you know, very accurate to so many things. I mean, if I watched that movie and didn't know anything about the man, and I would have automatically just assumed he was a terrible father just because he was so good at playing a terrible father in the movie. Uh, but at the same time, I was like, oh, I bet he could cook some amazing food, too. Uh, and, and credit to him, too, because he actually spent time in some kitchens down in Austin uh, learning how to cook and learning just the lingo and mentality of people in kitchens uh, just so it would be uh, authentic in the movie. Um, all the cooking scenes when you see him cooking uh, is legitimately him cooking. He uh, had a friend of his uh, who was a chef uh, kind of be like an onset uh, consultant um, to make sure he wasn't fucking it up. And a lot of the scenes when they would do the cooking, like right before it, you know, the actual chef would be like showing him what to do, you know, just to kind of uh, so he could just essentially mirror it and, you know, bring that authenticity to it all. Plus, like I've said multiple times on this, I mean, a big a big thing in this movie is the Cubano sandwich. And that's my all time favorite sandwich. So not only do you, you know, you get this phenomenal movie and all this other stuff, but one of its central points, like one of the central things in this movie is one of my favorite things of all time. So it's just like hand in hand, like this movie was made for me. Like I personally feel like John Leguizamo and Sofia Vergara and Robert Downey Jr. and John Favre all sat down and went, hey, there's this guy Sterling who really loves Cuban sandwiches, and we need to build a movie that shows the same amount of love for this fucking sandwich that Sterling has for it. And you know what? They succeed. <laughs> That's a beautiful sentiment. Yes. I never saw that movie, so I'm, I'm assuming you also have that on your iTunes? Yes, Chast. And it is also on Amazon Prime. For anybody that wants to watch it streaming or anything like that, Chef is on Amazon Prime right now, too. Oh, I'm going to have to do yeah. that. I've been meaning to watch it, but I haven't. No, it actually is a really great movie. I actually saw it in theaters um, because I, I'm, I'm a fan of John Favreau. I think he's talented. I think he's funny. I think he's amusing. And obviously, he's got you know talent behind the screen as well. But I just really am a fan of him. And um, I actually hadn't heard anything about that movie before it came out. And I just remember sitting through one day just being like, you know what? I want to go see a new movie. What's out? And I just saw this in theaters and I was like, what is this movie? And then I read about it and I was like, that could be interesting. And then I saw it and I was like, this is an amazing movie. Like, I mean, and I'm not one that knows much about cooking or, you know, anything like that or the restaurant business. The most I know about it is just, you know, how rough it is to work there because I worked in them. But beyond that, I don't know anything about, you know, that business. And this movie, it was just so incredibly well done. And I, I do agree that I just feel like the characters were very authentic, like you were saying, Sterling, and the relationships are great and realistic. I mean, you know, it's like you can love your kid, but maybe not be the best parent, you know, and you can have this, you know, off and on relationship with someone and not know how to define it. And, you know, you could just be frustrated because you put all this effort and work into something and then people let you down. And it's just a very genuine movie. And I actually totally agree. I think it's a great movie. So um, you definitely all should watch it. It's, it's going to be one of those that I think just people in general just relate to it. Yeah. What she said. That's right. <laughs> okay. I mean, I will say this though. I do love how, when Heather started that, 
she was like she sounded like she was like defending the movie to you guys when she was like guys <laughs> it actually is a good movie like <laughs> i know sterling just went on this whole thing about how he loves this movie and it's in his top three movies of all times but guys 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 it actually is good <laughs> Now, I'm just saying that we don't always agree on what, like, good movies are. <laughs> so, I was just pointing out that if we agree that strongly on a movie like that, I feel like that means it's a good movie. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, she just, well, she just had to say something because, I mean, your last pick was Starship Troopers. So, maybe she kind of felt like, you know what? I need to help him out here. I need to show some support <laughs> after after the uh, the opposition you got. <laughs> about watching the uh after you got Dr. Seuss about try, us trying out the other um Starship Trooper so I think she just felt like you needed some help there. <laughs> I mean, I agree with Ghostbusters and I agree with Chef, but just Starship Troopers I can't get on board with for personal just reasons of that not being my type of movie. But, you know, I just wanted, you know, people should be on board with Chef. It is an underrated very great movie. So, no, I'm I'm definitely gonna have to watch that one. Anything else on Chef? Yeah, it's great. All you motherfuckers need to watch it. Yeah, yeah, I will. I will, Sterling. I will. So there, I got two movies now. I gotta watch the Edge of Seventeen. I gotta watch Chef. Uh, I could maybe I could do that this weekend. I don't wrestle this weekend. Maybe I can do that. One of the Starship Troopers movies between two and five. Oh, I will not watch them. With the mouse, I will not watch them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, you know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I'll if I get <laughs> if it gets that boring. And if I've already seen those two, you know what? I'll try the second one. I'll try Starship number two. Just for you, Starlet. Just for you. Afterwards, you'll be like, I am so glad I did this. Cause now it was for me. <laughs> okay. All right. So I guess it is finally my turn. And this is weird going last. And yeah, it's all, you're always kind of at the mercy of everyone else and someone's bound to take something. And in this case, it kind of happened because Terminator 2 was my number three. So, but that's okay. I'll just put something else in its, I'll just talk about number four then. We'll just put that in its place. But yeah, and as far as what you were saying earlier, Sterling, or alluding to earlier, Sterling, about how this was an easy choice for you, I can definitely see Devin and Heather's side about how this can be hard, especially if you're someone who is always struggling with, okay, what is the best movie objectively do I think is the best versus what are the movies that I just genuinely like? And sometimes you you go back and forth with that and it's a tough kind of mental conversation to have with yourself. And then sometimes you wind up residing somewhere in the middle. Sometimes you go, and sometimes it's easier to say what's a best genre. Like sometimes it's better if you split it up into genres. I would prefer that, honestly. Like what's your favorite drama film? What's your favorite action film? What's your favorite sci-fi? Sometimes it's even easier to do this that way. But when you have to just narrow it down to three, out of everything, out of all genres, out of everything, it, it does, it can get difficult because there are just so many movies that I like. But kind of piggybacking off of what just pretty much everybody has been saying, I think that when it comes to this choice, though, you, you, you can't always go with objectively what you think is the best or 
what what you saw and you were like, man, from a technical storytelling aspect, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. But that doesn't always mean it's your favorite. That doesn't always mean it's the most enjoyable. That doesn't always mean that you you can go back to it every time. So I definitely understand the sentiment of you got to go with the ones that just seem to influence you to say something about who you are, ones that you can go back to over and over again without hesitation. You, This is a movie that you can watch. This is a movie that you've decided to own, and you may not even wind up picking up DVD extras or when they come out with new Blu-ray versions of it, you might even pick those up. So when I made this choice, I tried to just narrow it down to those and just talk about ones that are just my absolute favorites, even if they aren't considered the best or they didn't win a ton of awards or didn't make a ton of money at the box office. I put critic Jastin away and just tried to narrow it down to just three that I always, always, always have to go back to. And since Devin kind of took my Terminator 2 and we talked about that one already, I don't want to repeat. So I'll just move up number four to three to the three spot. And number four, Three for me is, and this might surprise some people, I don't know, or if you know me, maybe you think, oh, of course he likes that movie, but I'm going to go with uh, Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2. This um, film, and really, it's really you could just look at it as one film um, by Quentin Tarantino, but for me, this film is just, there's just so many awesome things that I could say about this film. As far as the kind of person I am, I'm a person that, like I said earlier, tends to lean towards, I like action films. I like movies with martial arts. I like um, Japanese animation. I'm, I'm a fan of anime. I'm a fan of a lot of the things in Japanese culture. I'm a professional wrestler. So anytime you can deliver on some conflict between two characters, you can deliver on that. And it's a and it's a battle or it's a fight or you've got sword fighting or gunplay sometimes or martial arts. I- I'm going to gravitate to that. Those are the movies that I enjoy. That's the stuff that I really enjoy seeing. And those are the movies that I, I tend to come back to more often than not. And Kill Bill, I mean, man, I mean, it is just from start to finish. It is just a great collection of popular cinema of popular cinema ideas that Quentin Tarantino combined for this revenge movie. And the story is very simple. It's a revenge flick through and through. Nothing too, nothing too great about the story, nothing mind blowing about it. It really is a tale of revenge. A woman is left for dead and she's not dead. And after recovering, she's make, she makes, she literally makes a list and she's going to get back everyone that wronged her in this assassin group that she was in. So that pretty much is the story. But man, this movie is so beautifully shot. The the fight choreography and the sword play is just something that I always enjoy. The part where the bride, who's played by Uma Thurman, and w- when she fights the crazy 88s, that's just... Um, just one of my favorite things to watch because it's such a great homage to like older Japanese cinema and Chinese cinema where they would have, you know, you have your hero and he takes on an army of guys and Bruce Lee popularized that people like Jackie Chan popularized that. So the homage that Tarantino plays with this is just great. 
um, Seven Samurai is also another classic movie where you had single people defeating numbers of people with um, with swordplay. And then there's a lot of homage. There's a lot of tributes to that in this movie. Um, this movie even has a part where during the story, it actually goes to Japanimation. And you get to see one of the origin stories of the characters in that animation style, but with a Quentin Tarantino twist on it. So the dialogue is great. The dialogue is very cool. And it's just, it keeps you invested in what's happening throughout. And I can't say enough about Uma Thurman's performance in this as the bride. Um, still one of the more memorable characters that I've seen on screen. And then last but not least, the last thing I'll say about this movie is the music, man. There are just so many catchy tunes the there are so many great songs in this um the one song that comes to mind the battle without dignity or honor which i believe was was it was rizza who did the, the music and then he collabed with several other artists to do this movie music but most of it was him but man that song is just a song that you hear played a lot at, at sporting events and games and I see cheerleaders doing dance routines to it all the time. You know, it's one of it's a popular song, uh, popular music, really, not really a song. It's music that's played at a lot of sporting events and things like that. I always hear that music. And there are just so many great tunes in this um, that, that just really inspire me. And, and there are just so many like memorable moments that I love, like when ever she goes to Japan and a Hattori Hanzo sword is made for her. And Hattori Hanzo is like a great, is a famous Japanese legendary figure. So that, the fact that, that he had that in there and he had that sword was great. There's a part in volume two of Kill Bill where she gets, um, her training from an old master. And I mean, this guy is just straight out of something that you would see out of those early um, 1950s, 1960s, 1970s Japanese movies. He's got the long beard and you can't, you know, he can fight so well that you, he's just doing all these unbelievable things, jumping 20 feet in the air and stuff like that. And Quentin Tarantino just had the coolest way of capturing all this but he did it in, to where it was so cool and it felt so fresh. It didn't feel cheesy. You didn't just feel like, oh, this is just a bunch of stupid stuff I'm seeing on screen. He just had a way of engrossing you in the story. And then lastly, the final confrontation with the bride and Bill was great. And David Carradine, who is gone from the earth now, but at that time, he just did such a great job here. And the speech that he gives about how Superman really sees the earth and the society of people and how the way how he dresses up as Clark Kent, because that's the way he sees people weak, clumsy and stupid. It was such an awesome bad guy interpretation of a hero. It was just a great summation of that character. So yeah, Kill Bill is definitely one of those movies that uh, even though I I agree, it's not even the best Tarantino film. I don't, I, you know, you, you, I, I do think that there are other movies that are better, like Pulp Fiction as far as when it comes to Tarantino. But for some reason, man, this is one that I always go back to. I can watch it anytime. I watched it recently on Netflix, both volumes are on there. So yeah, 
Kill Bill is definitely one of those that definitely does it for me. It's one of my favorites. Got to agree with Justin here. Kill Bills is is one of my favorite action films of all time also. So really good pick, especially after I uh, confiscated Terminator 2, claimed it rightfully as my own, uh, as I do all <laughs> things. Um, and, and one thing that I really want to say, you're talking about homages. So uh, one of the outfits uh, that Beatrix Kiddo wore uh, during the fight with the Crazy 88, which was the all yellow jumpsuit with the black waist racer stripes down the side, was an homage to Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, because you like how he pops up lives, fighting a whole bunch of guys and beating the shit out of them. Uh, that is, um, that is one thing that I really loved. Uh, sh- the the shots that they made, but also the music. A lot of people understand how much of that music went on to be used in commercials and other movies and things like that. Like that. I mean, I've seen that in so many different commercials and things like that. And the funny thing about that song is, is Quentin Tarantino didn't actually have a song for when she was walking into that club. Uh, And then uh, he went to some, I don't know, he was at some place in, I, I think, China or Japan, I can't remember where. It was some retailer, and he heard that song playing, and he was like, "Hey, uh, I love this song. Can I have this CD?" And then the guy was like, "No, you can't have the CD. This is my favorite group, and I want." He's like, "Please, will you just let me have this?" And he like begged and bartered uh, so he could finally find out who they were, and he hunted that group down and had them perform live for that scene. And I just think that's just an amazing little tidbit of just how, uh, how insane, not, not insane, but how um, driven to complete his vision he is. Um, even Tarantino in this movie was like, hey, you'll never, I was watching to listen to a commentary on a Pulp Fiction. He was like, you'll never see me drop like a director's cut or an ultimate edition uh, because I made the movie I wanted to make the first time I made it. And I think that rings true for him as a filmmaker. And he has always been one of my favorite directors. So, yes, Justin. Kill Bill, Volumes 1 and 2. Oh, and the song at the end is great, too. The It's all in Spanish. I used to know the name of it. Uh, on the bonus features, again, if you have Kill Bill Volume 2, the guy who sings it uh, actually performed that, uh, I think, at the rap party for Kill Bill 2. And it's amazing him singing that uh, live. Awesome. And thanks for that story. I did not know that about the band yeah, me neither. that was playing during that scene. So that makes that even more awesome. So thank you for that. I mean, cool, because I, I saw it the one time and never really have had a desire to watch them ever again. I mean, it's, it's nothing <laughs> against the movie. And it's not that I didn't like it. I thought it was good. You know, like I said, but I watched both of them when they came out in theaters. And then I've just never seen them again. Just never wanted to, never cared to, just never did. So, hey, at least you liked them. I think they're very creative. Um, a lot of the, just the camera shots and the, um, just the action sequences are really good. Um, just having that strong female lead character is really cool. Um, I think it was, I mean, you think about, especially in recent memory, people think about, oh, who are like the the strong, powerful independent female um, lead characters in films. And the bride is just one of those that people remember, you know, just the ultimate revenge and the ultimate like journey to, um, to have that 
that closure in a sense. And um, just her story and everything that they that they do in that movie with her story is um, it's fascinating. Like, it's just interesting and it keeps you interested the whole time. At least it did for me. And um, I totally agree. I think it's a very well done because it's it's a modern movie, but they do make it sort of as if it's more like a an old school kung fu almost type of movie. So I think it was clever in how th- that was done. I would say um, this was Tarantino, right? I believe it was Tarantino that made this one. Yes. Um, yes. It's uh, th- I, honestly, it's probably one of my favorite Tarantino films. So I think that's a good option for sure. Awesome. Okay. And on to my second one. And this one is near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm a fan of Western movies. I'm a fan of um, films that kind of have that Western pacing, how it tells the story, the tension that it, that 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 style of story builds, and then it leads to an eventual climax. And there have been a lot of uh, movies over the years that have adopted the Western formula. And of course, Westerns continue to still um, come out to this day. And of course, there are probably more popular spaghetti Westerns than this. There are other Westerns that are ranked higher than this one, but this one is my personal favorite. And this is, and the one I'm going to talk about is Unforgiven. So Unforgiven is directed by Clint Eastwood. And Clint Eastwood is one of my favorite directors, just as far as his films, I just—it's just something about the way he shoots his films, um, the mean, the the deeper meanings behind his films, and I'll talk about another Eastwood film here as my number one in a moment. But th- there's just something about the way that that guy is able to tell a story, and this western for me was just such. It's just something that I can always, always go back and watch. There are so many great scenes. And I mean, the cast in this film is a who's who of actors. You've got Morgan Freeman. You've got Gene Hackman, of course, Morgan Freeman. And one of the other standout actors in this movie was Richard Harris as English Bob. And him trying to get this journalist to write this story about how he did all of these great things of the old west and his revisionist history of all of these people that he captured and all these events that went down and it's pretty hilarious when he comes into somebody who really is like a relentless um uh uh, sheriff like uh gene hackman and the interactions that they have and stuff like that was just great i loved all of that and clint eastwood is just really amazing in this movie i love this character and i love how this character had experienced all this pain and it really was kind of one of the first western movies to really talk about after people have died and after you've killed people and the toll that can take on you and how that can affect you and things like that. And I think Clint Eastwood really captured that with this character in this scenario where he's called on to do this, uh, to do this one last thing. And, you know, there was this prostitute that got beat up and cut up really bad. And he felt like he felt kind of obligated to do this. And he's this terrible person but is trying to do the right thing so i just love the dynamic of that morgan freeman was also great in this and 
there are just so many great scenes in this. Um, the the gunplay was never overdone, but it was just enough, and there was just enough action, and it was realistic, and it was believable most of the time. It wasn't somebody shooting and just hitting everybody perfect each and every time. The, I even remember there was the kid that they brought with them so they could uh, hunt down those um, those people, the, those guys that uh cut up that that prostitute and i remember that they had them cornered on this mountain and they were trying to and this kid who is acting like and he's a young guy but he's trying to be cool he's trying to be um a bounty hunter if you will and he gets so nervous and he can't shoot and he gets he freezes up once they're out there and it just just things like that, just having these well-rounded characters and having them in situations that you think just felt real, uh, that film is just something that I can always go back and watch. And that's just one of those that I always, always enjoy watching. So when it comes to the westerns for me that's the one for me so unforgiven is my number two and and lastly the film also had a great um box office run it won four academy awards i think best picture it won best picture that year that it came out so i mean the movie definitely has the accolades to back it up but ultimately this is just a personal personal favorite of mine i don't think i can elaborate more than you already have Unforgiven is a classic. Um, I'm actually not that big a fan of westerns. I think they're all a lot of them are really cookie cutter and very basic and very you know white hat black hat and they don't really have a lot of complexity. And that's what I love about Unforgiven. Like uh, Jason said, he's just dealing with PTSD when it comes right down to it from all of the dirty deeds he's done. And the way that movie ends is really fantastic too. Uh, and so very good pick, Jaston. I like a lot of the picks. You guys are impressed me, and I and I um and I also love the shadow work in it with the cinematography. Um, it's just absolutely amazing. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, Unforgiven is part of the Nameless Man trilogy. Um, so you know everything with that. You know, the good and the bad and the ugly, and um, I'm forgetting the other one. It's just they're amazing films, and I love them. Even if you don't like Western, fist fistful of yeah, dollars, fistful and, of dollars, um, yeah. Yeah, and so um, if you haven't seen those films, even if you don't like westerns, check it out. Clint Eastwood may be a man who talks to chairs. Ooh, that could be the next one. <laughs> In the oh God, the man <laughs> yeah, who talks I didn't like chairs. that. Yeah, um, that was uh, yeah. And he's not—he's not too good of a dad, uh, but he can direct the shit out of a film. I tell you that much. And I haven't seen that movie in like. 20 years, man. I can't really comment. Watch it again. <laughs> I will after you watch Chef or any in any of the Starship Troopers movies and all this other thing. If I watch Chef, you have to watch Unforgiven. Maybe. I've at least seen Unforgiven at one point. You have not seen Chef at any point. Fair enough, Heather. <laughs> Nothing on this movie just because I'm going to be that person that says I haven't seen it. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think my my household was also not super big on Westerns, so I never really got to see a ton of them growing up. So unfortunately, I missed out on this one, but I'll take your word for how good it is. 
Yeah. And and it's good to just um I would definitely recommend it and it's good to just understand the formula because e- even now there are a lot of movies that are coming out that they are calling modern westerns. So it's always good to know what the formula is and recognize it. There was a movie that came out just a few years ago, Come Hell or High Water, or I think it's just Hell or High Water, sorry. And that's um what, you know, and that's a modern western. Um, No Country for Old Men has a lot of western elements in it. You could almost call that a modern day Western. Some people do call it a modern day Western. So it's definitely a formula that is still being used today. And I wouldn't be surprised if you have some favorite movies in your list that actually are um, cousins to that Western formula. You'd be surprised. Okay. So with nothing left to say on that, now it's finally we're at number one. And man, this was, um, and, and this one I can say for my number one, um, now this one I can say, I can kind of mimic what Sterling was saying for his pick with Ghostbusters. This is my number one favorite movie. I think that when it comes to this film, this movie pretty much uh, speaks to me in that it, I feel like I define myself in this movie. I feel like this movie says a lot about just how I feel about my own life and kind of what I'm doing and what my motivations are and things like that. And then it also has some complex issues that it touches on and some darker subject matter, but also some uplifting subject matter. So I think this movie has it all. And the movie that I want to talk about is Million Dollar Baby. Um, And it's another Clint Eastwood directed movie. So I can't believe I had Eastwood in her twice, but I mean, that's just how it turned out. Uh, this is a movie that I absolutely love. I watched it just a few days ago and I own this movie and it's just something that I can always go back to. But Million Dollar Baby is just a great sports movie and it's just a great but but even more than that even if it didn't have boxing and you 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 fit in any of the sport that they could have that Clint Eastwood could have used for the subject matter I still think that the themes and the the way it was written and the the characters in this you could almost do it with any sport and it would have worked but this movie is just fantastic Devin and I um, complimented Unforgiven on the cinematography, but this movie and its cinematography, the the way that Clint Eastwood does lighting and shadows and how he can just get the most out of showing half of a face or just a little bit of someone distorted behind some light or just the way he can show somebody emerge from the shadows and different things like that, different um shots from far away showing showcasing everybody in the gym or just focusing on Hillary Swank's character alone just in there punching the bag kid in the bag because this is about a female boxer so like just scenes like that are just so beautiful they they feel so organic and it's just amazing to look at and this movie I think is one of his best as far as just how he shot the film um the the movie uh, at its bare bones is just about this um is about this boxing trainer and that's who Clint Eastwood's character plays and he hasn't been the best father 
which is funny that um you mentioned that Devin about him actually not being because in this movie that's kind of what he is he's this boxing coach who hasn't really spent the time with his daughter that he should have so you know he doesn't have a relationship with his child but it's almost like these boxers that he coaches are, do wind up being his children, so to speak. So he kind of finds his relationships with the people in there. Morgan Freeman is a retired boxer that um, cleans up the gym. And he's kind of, you can tell he's kind of Clint Eastwood's uh, best friend in this movie. So they go back and forth and they have some great scenes together, which just tie it up very well. Um, Hillary Swank was fantastic in this movie. She dedicated... Uh, I want to say almost six months to a year of her life to get in shape for this role, just so that she could look like a tough female boxer. She took boxing wow. lessons. So she pretty much did the whole nine just to prepare herself for this character. So, and, and I mean, this character just really speaks to me just because, um, uh, this movie really is about someone who, you know, she just loved boxing and that was all she ever wanted to do. And she was down on her luck. She really didn't have much. And but she had this passion for boxing. And Clint Eastwood at first was reluctant, didn't want to train a woman because he had only trained men and he had no experience with that. And just her heart and determination and her just iron will to keep coming back to that gym, to keep asking, to keep trying to work on her bag and stuff like that. After a while, her determination just kind of wore on him and he began to train her and they just, and it just blossomed into this great relationship. And it really is this story about how if you're determined to do something, it really, like Clint Eastwood was quoted as saying, the film is really about the American dream, like how you can work so hard to get it, accomplish it, and things like that. And it really just showcases that in this movie. The boxing scenes in this movie are very well done. They're very well shot. It's it's not, and it feels more real, except when you get to the final fight and there's pushing and grabbing and all that kind of stuff because she was in there with a dirty fighter. So that's a little more unrealistic. But Overall, it was just so well done. It was just so well shot. And by the time you get to the end of this movie, there really is this moral, this lesson, this theme about how you, about how even if you have to die, even if you, um, you know, it really challenges, let me start over with that. It really challenges this theory of what is a life if you never get to live your dream. If you never get to do that thing that you were always passionate about or always wanted to do, then what then is it truly living if you're not doing the things that you dream about doing? And I just love that about this movie. It really challenges that. It really showcases that because we, by the time you get to the end of the film and, um, and long story short, this character, um, while she was boxing, was brutally injured by the other boxer. It was the championship fight. So she had worked her way all the way up to the championship fight. She saw glory. She was popular. Like she was getting gaining popularity. And this was the title fight. And she was winning the title fight. And then this happens. And there's this whole lesson about how uh, should 
we keep her alive. And she and when she gets the diagnosis that sorry, when she gets the diagnosis that she's paralyzed from the waist down, there's this whole kind of issue about how should she be kept alive? Should we keep her alive or should we want her to be alive in that state, even though she'll never box again, even though she can't box anymore? Or or was her decision the correct decision, which she basically convinces Clint Eastwood to inject her with something that will basically kill her? So there's this. So there were a lot of people I remember when this movie um, came out that really kind of didn't like that ending. They wanted things to end happily for this character, Hillary. They wanted, they didn't like the kind of gloomy ending that we got at the end where Clint Eastwood does that for her. And I say it like that, does that for her because uh, Morgan Freeman just had a great line in this movie that really summed up everything. And he was like, you know, that, that girl got to live her dream. She got to go all the way to the title fight. She got to fight and be, she became a boxer. She wanted to be a boxer. And you, he was talking to Clint Eastwood's character. You made sure that she was able to get there and she will always have that. She will always be able to rest knowing that she got her shot. And he said, there are going to be hundreds, millions of people all around the world. And at the end of the day, they're all going to look back and they're all going to be thinking, did I ever get my shot? Did I ever go for that thing that I wanted most in life? And he said, you know what? I could rest with that. If I was her, I could rest with the fact knowing that I got my shot. And that's just kind of something that always motivates me. That's what drives me to do this wrestling thing. That's what drives me to, to put in the time and the hours. And it's just messages like that are very uplifting for me. And it just, you know, for anybody out there that's striving or trying to do something, we interview all of these directors and filmmakers and they're trying to live this dream and they're trying so hard to do this thing in filmmaking and stuff. And to me, messages like that are just very motivating, Cal, even in what seems like the worst situation. When a person is going after the things they want most in life, they can take solace in the fact that they tried, that they got a chance, that they did it. They went out there and made that attempt. So that is just a beautiful message to me. Even in her death, I thought that that was such an excellent message. And that's why this movie always emerges as just number one for me. It just has more meaning for me than any other movie that I've seen up until this point. So with that being said, uh, yeah, Million Dollar Baby takes it for me as my number one favorite. All right. So I knew this was going to take fucking forever. So I'm going to keep this short. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, one of my favorite movies. Justin, I don't know if you remember we had a conversation because Cinderella Man and Million Dollar Baby came out about the same time. And we were discussing yes, yes. which one was better. And I was really on the side of Million Dollar Baby because of just how realistic it was and how gut-ridging the ending was and the messages in the film that, you know, even if your story doesn't wrap up, you know, picture perfect, uh, you can still die beautifully and even have control of your own life. Um, even if you're paralyzed from the neck down, she was a quadriplegic before people get all mad and say, he said paraplegic. And she was, uh, she was, she was, from the neck down paralyzed. Um, but just all of those things, um, the story, 
um, and, and the way that he when he gives her the injection for the assisted suicide, he has a nickname for her and he tells her uh, what it means. And it's just a very beautiful scene. It's a very beautiful scene. So, yes, uh, an amazing film. I'm glad to hear you're on the side of Million Dollar Baby after years have passed. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, really great i'm surprised you actually went for another clint eastwood movie i thought you would diversify a little bit i didn't think you'd do that so i think i've learned something about all you guys tonight i like that all right anybody else with thoughts on this film or do we wrap up i figured you were going to say this movie because i know how much you love this movie so i just i like seeing too kind of like how Devin was saying like you learn something about everyone but yeah it's just kind of cool to see like the things that you're like, I know this about this person, but I'm also learning a different part of them with other picks. It's just cool. I don't know. But um, yeah, I I don't disagree with you. Like this movie is, um, I mean, it's a, it's a classic movie at this point. You know, it's very, very well done. And um, it's, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think your assessment of it is correct. And I totally see why it's um, one that you would choose as a, as a top favorite. So, um, yeah, I mean, just the acting, it's phenomenal. You know, you can't like get much better than that. (laughs) So I, yeah, I approve. I think it's a great choice. Awesome. Thank you, Sterling. Any thoughts on this one here? Yeah. Fuck that movie. No, I'm just playing. Um, (laughs) I I mean, personally, I feel like Hillary Swank should have died in the first five minutes instead of at the end. Whoa. No, I mean, it, it, it is a good movie. Um, it is very well acted. It's the movie that gave me hope for young Hillary. Um, you know, cause before then, the only thing I could truly remember her in was, you know, the next karate kid. Uh, hey, boys don't cry. Fair, fair. Boys don't cry. What about boys don't cry? Are you kidding me? Man, I hadn't seen boys, boys don't, don't cry, cry at that point in time. It's amazing. So, Jesus, so that movie I, is so great. Okay. Like I said, I had not seen that yet. So my point's still valid. It was Karate Kid, and the next thing I remember her being in is Million Dollar Baby. So, I had just seen her in two combat movies, or combat fighting movies. And one was good, and one was bad, because Karate <laughs> Kid's fucking amazing. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, God. It, I hate you. <laughs> troll tis the season to... Like, I watched it, and I thought it was super good. The one thing, the only knock I kind of have for it is the fact that, like, kind of like Kill Bill, kind of like all three of your movies, I've seen them all. They're all good. I've never really had a desire to watch them ever again. And that's, I mean, that's nothing against the quality of the films. I think that might be just the type of, I don't know. I've just, I've never had the desire to watch any of them again. Um, If you had gotten to keep your Terminator uh, 2, then, you know, that is something I have seen multiple times, but I don't know. I've just never had the desire to watch any of these movies again. And maybe I should. Maybe they're just the types of movies that I might have to, like, make myself do it. Whereas other movies, I find it a lot easier to just naturally do it. But maybe I do need to make myself watch these movies again. Uh, you know, and maybe I'll be, like, pleasantly surprised or, you know, find something rewarding out of actually making myself do something like that. Yeah, and to be fair, you know, these are not, some of these, especially my top two, there's heavy stuff in both of those movies, like Unforgiven and um, 
million dollar baby. Like these are it's a there's a lot of heavy subject matter and emotions and all of that good stuff. So you know most people aren't like hmm. Let's let's see. I'm in the mood for a real downer. I'll watch Million Dollar Baby over and over and over again. You know, I mean, not everybody is jumping to watch. I'm sure is jumping to watch that over and over again. Just depending on what kind of person you are. You know, some movies are easier to watch over and over again. But for some reason, I don't know, man. I just always go back to those. I don't know why. It's just they just touched me in some sort of way i guess also the name of your sex tape (laughs) (laughs) so that is it for us today cine fans we have discussed our top three favorite movies and of course we always want to know what you guys think what are your top three most favorite movies do you agree with our list do you have different ones and what are the reasons why be sure to hit us up um, on our Cinema Slayers like page on Facebook. Definitely catch our website, cinemaslayers.com. And remember that we're also on Spotify, so you can check us out there if that's where you listen to podcasts. And please, we're always, 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 always looking for feedback. And also check out our like page because there'll be information there too about our merchandise. And we're always selling great items i know we had a coffee mug we've got great shirts tank tops whatever you need cinema slayers has it so we hope that you really enjoyed this very passionate episode of cinema slayers and this is your resident wrestler the guy with the beard that is not weird the man with the voice of caramel and of course everybody's favorite cine girl heather signing off for cinema slayers Bye, guys.